me dismiss the kids to head out. You're in luck today. The Perrys are there just chomping at the bit to lead you in worship. So go help them do that. We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Uh, this, the first verse here, verse 7, is one that's probably familiar to you, the image of uh, treasure in uh, jars of clay. Uh, we're going to certainly talk about that, but spend more uh, time uh, probably in verses 10 and 11 in this text today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So one of the things that you have to see about this text, and one of the uh, things that we often miss when when we read this text, is just the profound thing that Paul is talking about, the paradox that he is bringing together. And that is, uh, the, the power of God, the, the, the very glory of God is most clearly demonstrated to us in the shameful uh, execution outside the city gates of the Son of God on a cross. And so, so as we think about this, as we unpack this today, that's one of the, that, that, that theme has to run through everything uh, that we think about. And so as you think about this text and the, and the piles of paradoxes of, of two things that exist together in apparent contradiction to one another, today's a great day for us to do that because it's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday demonstrates to us a paradox, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, the king, rides into the capital city of Jerusalem, how? On a donkey. Right. People people are throwing their coats and their the palms and in front of him crying, Lord, save us uh, as he enters in uh, to uh, the city. And yet within a few days, Jesus will be outside the city once again, this time stripped of his clothes, beaten beyond recognition, hanging on a cross. And so as you look at this. You know, and and this week I would challenge you, as Kevin talked about this being Holy Week, and you know, one of the it's the most important time in the church calendar. And and one one of the things that you have to see about that is that, as Kevin mentioned earlier, that the the amount of time the gospel writers spend on just this one week is phenomenal. If the gospels are supposed to cover uh, three years. Uh, the material, the amount of material in the gospels that is turned over just to this one week is more than a third. And so this is a big thing. This was the thing they were focused on. This was the thing that was, was the most important aspect of the life and work of Jesus Christ were those events that were leading up to, uh, his, uh, crucifixion and then his resurrection. So this week, as you get distracted, as you think about other things, and then suddenly you get caught up with, oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, this is the week leading up to Easter. Uh, what's a way, what's a thing you can do to think about this is think and pray for God to make real to you and your heart and your life the, the display of His power in your weakness. You know what? That's wrong. Not in your weakness. In your inability. 
Because what Jesus is doing, what Jesus does for us, is something we could never do for ourselves. And maybe, maybe then not just your inability, but how about your depravity, your brokenness, your ineffectiveness? So, so as we look at this this morning and as we kind of unpack this, this is a pretty profound, one of the most profound texts uh, uh, in the Bible. So go ahead, Scott, put my, put my notes up there, right? So one of the things that you see is that by using these, these uh, lists of, of paradoxes, uh, and that's all this text is, one after another, what we get to see is uh, a clear picture of the way the gospel works, right? We, we see here, he speaks about treasure and clay pots. Nobody, now we think of clay pots as the cute things that you buy on, you know, from some, I don't know, on, on, you know, like souvenirs or something like that. And they're decorative things, right? They're, they're fun things. These are, that's not what this is. These are just average day, you know, clay pots that are fragile, temporary, and their worth and their value is not, there's just not much there. They're just things that you use to carry what's really, really important which in this, te- in this case uh, is the gospel. But the, the thing that you have to see about this is, is as, as Paul gets this, who in the world would put that which is most precious inside something that has no value? But that's not the only paradox, right? He goes on to give us this great list here where he describes himself as afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, right? So you have these things that are, are that are true of his life that uh, that that come at him that have marked his ministry, and then he goes on to say and to, to have more paradoxes where he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And so he's contrasting and rubbing these two things up against each other all the time so that we would see and have to come to grips with uh, this is the nature of life as a Christian. This is the nature, particularly for Paul, as his life as an apostle. This is the nature of ministry. This is the nature of the life of the church. Now, now, the, the thing that you have to see about that is that that is so hard for us. It is so difficult for us, and it is so, frankly, repulsive. Um, my, my oldest is going into the family business, and uh, um, one of the things that Marty and I talk about often uh, is uh, how we, uh, did we, did we make this look too good? You know, because when you talk to him about his experience, what he will say to you is, you know, uh, it was great having uh, uh, parents who were uh, in, in ministry. It was, a, it was a great thing for me. I get to meet lots of great people. people. He thinks about you. He thinks about the people that that know and love him. He he you know, it's it's all it's all a very positive experience. You know, he doesn't he doesn't remember the night when he was eight years old and his little brother was six and his little sister was five. And I had to leave them alone at the house because Marty was away and a baby died in our congregation in the hospital and I had to leave them. He doesn't, he doesn't see the struggle that his mother and I uh, have over loving 
and ministering to people who can't stand us, who don't like us, who are our critics. So as you, as you think about that, you know, the, as you, as you begin to un, unpack that sort of thing, you know, we, we begin to think, you know, maybe we didn't display enough, uh, weakness to him. Maybe he didn't see enough struggle to understand what, what the nature of gospel living really is about. But he'll find out. <laughs> yeah, that's soon enough. Uh, he'll find out. But it is so difficult for us because what we think of the gospel is, uh, is that it gives us this kind of ironclad, a uh, way in which to go through life when what Paul says is, yes, it gives us a way uh, through life, but that way through life is, is, is a life of dying. That the, the, the most profound thing that we can say about the glory of God being demonstrated in our lives is, is that human weakness must be magnified, that human inability, human, uh, uh, depravity, those things have to be magnified so that there's room in our lives for the power of God to be displayed. And we find that to be a very difficult thing. The church in Corinth is just like West Enders, just like us, just like modern Americans. They valued competence. They valued power. They valued influence. They valued these things that, that look to us like life. And yet, and yet, Paul demonstrated weakness. People said he was boring. Uh, people looked at him and thought he was often ineffective and ineffectual in the things that he was doing. And that certainly someone who was afflicted and, and troubled and uh, persecuted the way in which he was would not have been something that would have been true of an apostle. If the, if the gospel such great news, why then would he have such a hard time? But what he wants us to see, what he wants you to see, what he wants me to see is is that the power of God, the glory of God, the work of the gospel, this great thing uh, is so antithetical to the way we view life and the values that we, uh, that we experience in life, that it is so much richer, so much more profound than anything that we could imagine. Next slide. So, um, so one of the, one of the ways that, that, that you will see this manifest and one of the things that you'll, you'll see that, uh, in coming weeks and months, I think, is in one of our sister churches in the transition that they're going through. You've heard, uh, us often quote, we use as books, uh, Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Prez in, uh, Manhattan. He's retiring. He's retiring. Not fully. He will no longer be a pastor. He's going to do church, uh, uh, training of church, uh, planters and that sort of work. Uh, and I guess he'll continue to write books, but he's not going to preach on Sundays anymore. And, uh, they wrote a newsletter this week basically saying, hey, you know, this is a real, uh, Kathy, his wife wrote, this is the defining moment in the life of Redeemer. And she's right. Because historically, churches like that don't make it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the most dynamic preacher of the 1800s, built a gigantic church in London, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And within a generation of his death, it was closed up, essentially non-existent. That happens. Why? Because you like gifts and I like gifts. 
and we like things to be a certain way, and we like what looks like success. And so if there's any kind of drop-off or any kind of way in which, which we think, well, he was better, we'll follow him. This new guy is not so great. Uh, then suddenly these things begin to go, go awry. So we should pray for our brothers and sisters at Redeemer because they should be scared to death. They really should about whether or not they're going to make it. So they write, write a, a newsletter. Kathy, his wife, Kathy Keller, writes uh, a, a, in a newsletter this week where she says, the gospel is the power, not programs or clever preaching, but the gospel. Yes, I know Tim. She's speaking of her husband. Is a good preacher. I've heard him more than anyone. God bless her. You should pray for, you should pray for all uh, pastors' wives because not only do they hear every sermon, they live with it. And they know what a hypocrite he is. Y'all didn't laugh at that. So I'm talking about human weakness here, right? So let's, let's, let's be transparent. She goes on to say, but I've also sat under the preaching of pastors who did not have good speaking gifts and wept and seen people converted. It was the clarity of the gospel, not the level of giftedness. We don't believe that. Do we? Uh, because it's, it's hard for us to understand how all the power and all the glory could be God's if we could see just, you know, wow, look at him. He's great. She says, friends, always trust the power of the message of the mystery of Christ. God come to save his people through his life and death applied to our need, knowing that you're not facing the ultimate taskmaster and judge, but the open arms of your loving father changes everything. And so that's the thing. That's the deal. What Paul is saying here is, I'm not important. And really, no no one human being is that important or that essential because the truth is the treasure is hidden in these clay jars that are fragile and temporary and that will go away. The thing that matters is the truth of Jesus Christ crucified. The thing that matters is that, that Jesus made atonement, that he bore the wrath our sin deserved and, and that he, he, he did that for us. You see, that's the thing. And so what we are, but what we are attracted to is, is something other than seeing that the glory of God is manifest to us in weakness, even manifest to us in death. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And he's challenging the way, the, the kind of the success oriented and the power oriented way in which we think about life. Because we're not drawn to weakness and suffering, but we're drawn to what appears to us to be strong, to be strength, right? But what he's getting at and what, what keeps overturning the way we think about this is, is that God's power is most clearly manifest in the gospel uh, in, in human weakness and in human inability and his grace being applied to that which is utterly broken. And it gets manifest in our lives, not just in the cross of Christ, but it gets manifest in our lives in the way in which it is the power of the gospel, not human power, that gets demonstrated. <clears throat> Next slide. So clay pots are not worth very much. 
Now that may, that's probably not a very popular thought for us, right? To be said, you know, that I'm, I'm a clay pot. Well, if I'm a clay pot, I'm a special clay pot. If I, if I'm a clay pot, I'm, I'm God's favorite clay pot, right? But, but, but when, what he's getting at there is not that, that human beings aren't of value, but the value that, that is for human beings is God-centered, is Christ-centered. That is where we derive our value. It, it's, we are so, uh, we scrap so hard for any shred of self-esteem of something that we can gin up ourselves about ourselves that we miss the fact <coughs> that the value that we have is, 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 is given to us, is derived for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say here, just to make sure that you understand what he's, what he's getting at is, is that it's not just that the power and the treasure is in jars of clay, but it's this. He says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Now we read that and we think, well, that, that's a really odd way to put this. I, I want to get a little bit technical with you this morning so that you can you can understand what it is exactly that he's saying there. Paul uses the word death here, the translated death, uh, in, in, in these two verses, right? And it looks like the same word to us. What he says is always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always given over to death. Those two words are different. The first word that he uses there is a word that where we get our word necrosis from. That is like something that is dead that's kind of hanging on to you. And then the, the second word there is a different word. It's the word that we get that, that's, that's Thanatos, that uh, you know, the famous poet on uh, uh, Longfellow wrote uh, his poem uh, called Thanatopsis that's, uh, that's about that. The first word means that this death that we're talking about is not something that's just a one-time event, but that the very fact that the manifestation, the death of Christ, is manifesting itself in our lives all the time. We are always carrying around the deadness of Jesus. And this is what you have to see about this, is, is that the resurrection does not undo his death, it overcomes it. Because Jesus is the crucified one who lives. Right. So so what we have to understand about Jesus is, yes, he's risen from the dead. Yes, he has a glorified body, but that glorified body has holes in it. He manifests ongoing uh, the, the, the reality of his death for us. That's what's true of us. We live our lives as followers of Christ because we are identified with him and we are identified with him and his death looks like the ongoing work of his death. The, the, the death has impact. If we're connected to him in his life and in his death, that's going to be manifest in the way in which we lie, we live. He makes it clear that the death of Christ for the unrighteous means constant identification with that death on the part of his followers. In other words, what life is going to look like to me is a giving over all the time to death. That, that the work of Christ, that the glory of God is manifest most profoundly in that, in dying to myself, in, in, in turning over, being attracted to weakness and death so that the power of God can be manifest. <coughs> No one experiences resurrection without dying, right? 
That's how it gets, that's, that's, that's how his power is demonstrated to us. Next slide, please, Scott. So, so, and you would say, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't line up with what he says here, where he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Well, the, 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 the way you have to look at that and the way we have to read that is, is that that is one series after another of small deliverances of, of these things that happen, but it's ongoing. You, you will need to be delivered from being perplexed. Uh, on a regular basis. It's not just something that happens to you once. You're going to need to be aff- uh, uh, delivered from affliction more than once. It's an ongoing thing. So the, the work of Christ, the death of Christ, is something that has to be go- ongoing in our hearts and our lives all the time. And so when we do experience these small deliverances, when we do experience these ways in which God has delivered us from affliction or despair or any of those things, they are small deliverances that are preparing us for the big deliverance that we experience in the resurrection, right? But they're going, you're going to need that happening in your life all the time. So the effect of the death of Christ, the effect of the glory of God has to be going on in your life all the time because life is, is like that. So that as we experience life like that, I can't take any credit for not being overwhelmed or or despairing or anything like that. It's always the work of God in me that's doing that. Now, let me, let me help you understand how this works because this is, this is one of those texts that we're like, I am not interested in caring about in my life the death of Christ. Do I have hard things in my life? Yes. Do I have suffering in my life? Yes. But I manage it. And I only want the, the part of it to be seen that I think makes me look the best. Paul is exposed consistently to the church at Corinth as a struggler. Something that we don't have a lot of patience with. Something that we're not uh, probably that interested in. So what we do in social media... What we do with our friends, what we do with one another, is we curate our lives. Now, let me explain to you what that means. My daughter is, um, she's going to work in a museum. She wants to be a curator. That's what she wants to do. Now, you may hear that and you may say that, well, you know, Steve just threw away a hundred grand on a college education because that seems like and sometimes I'm tempted to believe that, but um, do you know what curators do? So when you go to the, the VMFA and you look at a painting, what you have to realize is somebody made a decision to hang that painting and not another one. That's what curators do. My favorite painting at the VMFA, I go see it every chance I get, is dog playing piano. You think I'm kidding. It's great. It was a... Uh, an 18th century uh, mocking of the people who had the stickers on their uh, carriages that said, uh, my middle schooler is an A student. Well, my dog plays the piano. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a great picture of, a, of a, a little dog at a piano. You should see it. I go and stand in front of it every chance I get. So um, she wants to be the one that makes those choices. Well, that's what you do. It's what I do. 
I curate. I choose what I want you to see about me. I choose what you want to understand about me. And, and I, will, I will choose to curate to you only that portion of death, only that portion of struggle that makes me look good. I'm not about to demonstrate to you my broken heart. I'm not going to demonstrate to you my struggle with despair. I'm not going to demonstrate to you my struggle with sin. I'm not, I'm not going to demonstrate to you those things. What I'm going to do is I am going to choose those things which seem best to suit and to manipulate you into thinking I am a certain kind of person. And when I do that, I crowd out the power of the gospel to be manifest in my human inability and weakness. So what happens then is the cross, the death of Christ, becomes something sweet and sentimental and manageable rather than the thunder of God against human rebellion and the extent to which we need our sins atoned for. And this is going to manifest itself in a couple of ways. One is, certainly I am going to not demonstrate to you much weakness on my part. But at the same time, if God forbid there were one among us who reads this and takes this seriously and decides you know what, the death of Christ is going to be manifest on a regular basis in my life so that the power of the gospel might be demonstrated, you might think, I don't want anything to do with that person because they're too hard to be with. Don't you think it would have been hard to be with Paul? He's talking about death, talking about the death of Christ being manifest in his life. I don't want any part of that. I want to talk about the masters. (laughs) Right? I want to talk about UNC basketball. I want to talk about uh, fun things, interesting things. And I only want to tell you about the stuff that I struggle with insofar as you'll tell me that I'll get better rather than saying, you know what? The death of Christ might be the only way out for you in this. So think about that this week as you go about um, your your lives. Um, The people that you run into, the people that you talk to, do they see you? Do they smell on you the death of Christ? Do they see the ongoing power of the crucified one who is now living, being manifest in your bodily day-to-day living? Let's pray that by the power of the Spirit, God would do that work so that the Jesus that we demonstrate to our friends and families is the crucified one. Let's pray. Lord, we we come to you today uh, recognizing that we are repulsed by um, sin and ugliness and weakness, so much so that we'd rather manage it then see uh, your death on our behalf for it. Uh, Forgive us for that. Lord, forgive us for the lies that we uh, tell ourselves and that we project about ourselves. And I pray that you would, um, well, that you would help us. You would help us to see the glory 
uh, that is the scandal of the crucified one. And I pray that uh, that would uh, move and change and redirect what we love and what we value uh, in our lives. Help us in that we pray. And Lord, I I pray today uh, for those of us who, um, well, uh, are repulsed by uh, anything that seems weak or troubled, anything that seems sad, anything that seems difficult, particularly if it seems that way uh, for longer than we think it should be that way. I pray that you would um, forgive us. Lord, we we thank you that Jesus Christ's death, uh, that his atonement uh, is ongoing. And I pray that you would help us to appropriate that more and more uh, into our uh, daily lives. So help us, Lord, change us, redirect our affections, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the guys come up to take up the offering. Let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.